Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is a podcast where we explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to Colleen Larson, Chief Executive of Business Engage. While she has had a long career in the financial sector, she is best known for her work in gender mainstreaming, a fitting topic to end off this Women's Month. Colleen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nikki, for having me. It's a great pleasure. So what makes Colleen Larson tick? So doing what I do on a day-to-day basis, I mean, you know that I was growing my financial services career, but there's nothing that fulfills my heart being and doing exactly what we do in terms of the work we do with the corporates and individuals in making sure that women actually get a seat at the table and grow their careers. So for me, yes, I had a high-powered financial services career, but nothing got me up to do what I do on a day-to-day basis than gender mainstreaming. Aren't you lucky that you have fallen into your passion? Absolutely. Well, I, well, it is falling into my passion because, as you know, I didn't actually start this um, this way and I didn't plot my career um, to go along this road, but it just so happened and I love doing it. You know what's so interesting? You said you didn't plot this. It wasn't, you know, where you'd planned to go. Mm. But sometimes our career trajectory takes a different turn mm. and... We need to be open and awake to when those moments sometimes appear. Absolutely. And mm. to see them as opportunities, not threats. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's that risk factor. I mean, looking at it from a financial services career, a very, very um, stable job with a huge salary, with a title, with everything. And now you're going to run a non-profit. My, my family thought I was absolutely bonkers. They, my brother said to me, Cole, just go and get a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so it's also, it's not only that looking at it as an opportunity, it's also when you know that you know that you know that you, you are in the right place. It's to be able to um, stand tall and say, this is what I'm going to do. And sometimes even your family doesn't doesn't understand doesn't that. get it mm. so what was the nonprofit called so it's business engage we founded business engage in 2005 and um, and we've been running it ever since started as a hobby uh, but in 2011 government published the women empowerment and gender equality bill i was still running my financial services career and doing this as a hobby and i woke up one morning thinking it's great that government's looking at legislation However, corporates aren't going to do gender diversity just because of women empowerment. You really need to come up with the reason why they they should come along for the ride. And with my financial services career, I knew exactly how to approach a CEO and position this, although it took us a little bit longer. I thought it was going to take us um, like a week or two weeks to get everybody (laughs) flocking to our, our, our feet, but it didn't quite happen that way. It was two years in the making. And we started this on a full-time. So this is what I do full-time. I run Business Engage um, as an organization, started off with nothing, and we're now 110 companies strong across Africa. Wow, that's amazing. So Business Engage is at the forefront of strategic thinking on gender mainstreaming in the private sector. What are some of the obstacles that you came up against? As you say, it took you two years 
to mm. get rolling. Yeah. What are some of those major obstacles? Well, first of all, it was always, um, there's nothing wrong with HR driving the, the conversation. However, unless a chairman, CEO and board buy into it, you don't change the DNA of the organization. So that was the first thing, is that because of our labor laws and everything, we had reporting, and that was fantastic, but we never saw the change. The second thing is that every corporate, when we spoke to individuals, individuals would say things aren't happening. But corporates are doing things, but they're not talking about it. So it looked like this little program that was happening and, and the corporates were saying, well, you go and do what you think you're gonna do and then come back because they didn't know about how many corporates were, were doing the work. And I think third of all, we've made it a women's issue, not a business issue. So it was August Women's Month event or International Women's Day, but it wasn't the conversation that was driven throughout the year on a consistent basis. That's your third thing. And fourth of all, we didn't bring the men along. And so those were the four things that we decided to really um, look at and, and change. And we've seen the difference as we've, as, as we've moved forward. Is there a critical mass that we need to get to in order to shift the conversation? Look, I think any little change is worth, worth the, the change. Um, no, we haven't arrived yet but we cannot have a change overnight. You know, it's, it's got to be sustainable. And corporates cannot do a revolution overnight and sustain the growth. We want something that when we have the change, we actually have a consistent, deliberate change and things that are sustainable. And so if we have this revolution overnight, which we, we constantly speak about, we, we talk about how it's not happening fast enough, we will not have that sustainability. So even when we talk about the changes on boards, you look at a change of in our um, one of our board reports that we, we do to track the JSC listed companies, we've actually seen that there's kind of been a 50-50 appointment on, of men and women on non-executive directors and on executive directors. But then you've seen a decline of men um, you know, saying on their directorship positions. But is that the conversation we really want to have? Is it a conversation about men out, women in? Or is it a conversation about us as people making that change? And as an organization, we've decided not to be an activist organization, but to be a, a voice of change in the corporate environment. And you can only do that when you understand that you've got to have men and women at the table. You are involved in something called the 30% Club. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about what that is? Because that is about creating a tipping point, yes. isn't it? Yeah, so the 30% Club, it's not an organization. It's an international campaign that was started in the UK. It's currently in about 39 countries internationally. And it was started to get a chairman and CEOs to put their names behind gender to change the DNA of the organization, to make it as, as, as strategic as possible for those organizations to change. And you've got some big names internationally. You've got Warren Buffett, the, the chairman of Tate and Lyle. So you've got big names internationally. And so we approached them, we told them what we were doing in South Africa. And by this stage, we had so many initiatives happening. 
and they've appointed us. It's, it is an international campaign, so they've appointed us as well, Business Engage as the custodians in Southern Africa and East Africa. And so it is driving the chairman and CEOs in Southern Africa and East Africa to reach at least a 30% point, not a target, not a quota. So we're not looking to get to just the 30% and stop. What it is, is that um, research has proven that when you've got 30% or three in a group of 10, it's the tipping point. It's a level to which you can start influencing conversation. And we have seen that having the chairman and CEOs running together with our initiatives and buying into what we do, there's, there is a lot of change and, and it will happen. In a way, what you're saying is this is a way to amplify the female voices at the table yeah. by getting the backing from the top down yeah. Yeah. to make sure that those conversations are happening and that those initiatives are taking place. Yeah, absolutely. And that the, the women have got a voice at the table. You know, it's, it's very important that they have that voice. And unless they've got the buying from the top, they're not necessarily going to have that voice. And when you say having a voice at the table, that you're actually represented by women at the table yeah. as opposed to men using reported speech about women's issues. Yeah, absolutely. Having said that, though, um, we've got to understand that, you know, you've got some women that don't pull other women up and they are hang them a lot of women that do. And there's some men that don't buy into it and they hang them a lot of men and men that do. So we like to have the conversation more about people and how we as people support others, be that a male or female, and um, making sure that, that you know, there's equal voice. Yeah, so equal voice, that's such a challenging statement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I think we have centuries of conditioning mm. of not having an equal voice, being sidelined, being mm. left in the chorus, mm. and almost expecting to be treated that way yeah. because mm. we're so conditioned as women yeah. to be treated as second-class citizens. And it's up to us to actually start putting up our hands. Absolutely. It's not just about men changing the conversation. Yeah. It's about women actually showing up for themselves mm. and saying, this is how I want to be treated. Absolutely. But that takes bravery. It takes courage. Mm. What are the kinds of obstacles that are in the way of gender mainstreaming? Well, I think, I think from a home uh, perspective, I think we, as you say, we have been socialized on what role we play and what we do and, and that type of thing, which, which really excludes us from networking, et cetera, getting those connections. Um, you know, even during COVID, um, just that being disconnected actually created havoc because you didn't have that support structure that you were looking for. And also you didn't get the introductions. So, so that definitely. And also women weren't able to come together as we normally do. And, and, and to have those events that, that we, we had. But number two, I think it is the fact that we are a little bit nervous to actually put ourselves forward and, and say that we can do it. You know, we look at women, they've come out of university with the higher degrees, with everything, and then you go into the work environment and say, oh, well, woe is me. It's not going to happen. And I think, why? You know, because of that little voice in the back of the head. 
And so I think from a woman's perspective, that is one of the key things that we need to get over. We need to get over that voice in our heads that says we're not worthy, we cannot do. And the only way you can do that is to be surrounded by people that support you. But I think second of all, I think it is that we've made it a women's issue and we haven't made it a business issue. And so even when I look at the women's forums within corporates, and they've got these little budgets. And I say, well, we don't want to go for those little budgets. In order to make a change and in order for, for diversity to become a reality in corporates, you've got to understand that if you're not using 100% of your talent, it's not going to bode well for you in the future. And so it mustn't be those little budgets. It must be a key sustainable budget that you allocate to making diversity a reality. And you can only do that when it is part of the DNA of the organization. So, so where you've got to get to is you've got to get connected with other corporates who are in this space, who are moving forward. You've got to learn and grow together. And you've got to understand that you've got to have a fundamental change within your organization. It's not just a quick fix. It's something that you've got to go on a journey. You've got to change the, the culture, the DNA of the organization, and you've got to believe in what you're doing. So I love that. Um, the little budgets. Yeah. <laughs> As a speaker, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Because I'll have somebody phone me and say, please, can you come and talk to our group, whether it's a women in banking or women on risk or whatever it is. But please remember, we have a little budget. Yeah. We have a very tiny budget. Um, and, and so we won't be able to pay your full fee. And so already we're on the back foot yeah. from the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. So I have this very wry smile on my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about your gender mainstreaming awards, because I think that's one of the things that's really put your work on the map in a very public way. And I think you're in your 10th year yeah. of the awards now. Yeah. And it's very linked to your strategic goals of getting corporates to buy into yeah. very real conversations yeah. and real change. Yeah. Tell us about the awards. So Nikki, when we first started, people were saying things haven't happened, corporates haven't bought into it, nothing's been done. We had corporates turning around and saying to us, well, go and do what you, as I said, go and do what you think you're gonna achieve and then come back because the stories weren't being told. So it looked like in South Africa, it looked like this little program. We all were also, I mean, import stories from the UK and United States. If you want to see things happening, that's where you've got to go for to, to get the stories of change. And yet the more I started speaking to corporates, the more I heard about how much change was happening, how much corporates were spending in terms of, of diversity, what they were doing, but stories weren't being told. And so even if they were told, they were told internally within a silo. Mm. And so the gender mainstreaming awards, well, when we first started, we didn't know how to run awards. We didn't know where to even start. So we started off with 200 people at um, the City Hall in Johannesburg. We're now um, at a point where two years ago we had 850 people for a black tie evening at Gallagher. Last year, we had 8,000 people online across Africa. Wow. <laughs> and um, this year, we've got an event at Gallagher in Nairobi and possibly one in Ghana. And then we're going to stream online. So it really is about telling the stories. We're not an activist organization. We want to inspire change. And the more stories that are told 
And the more corporates uh, see that this is a business imperative, the more they want to get involved. So where we started off with only five or six corporates entering, we're now at a point where across Africa, we've got so many people and individuals with the most amazing stories. We want to make Africa the gender hub where we export stories rather than import stories. And so that's where we're getting to. So in our 10th year, um, it's anchored currently by Accenture. Uh, we've got other sponsors involved with Tiger Brands, JSC, Imperial. So various sponsors that, that come to the party to assist us and support us through the process. We cannot do it on our own. And so we're just grateful that we've had the support that we have. This is really the Oscars of gender mainstreaming, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. I look at the pictures every year and I go, wow, Colleen, you go, girl. And there are these women coming up and there are beautiful trophies yeah. and it just looks so exciting. Yeah. Such a testimony to the journey that you've been walking yeah. for all of these years. It must be so rewarding for you every year to get to that moment. Yeah. You know, but I always say, Nikki, you know, it's, it's, there's a real fantastic team that we've got driving this, you know, and everybody says to me, oh, Nicole, you are the visionary, and that's great. But a visionary without people to do things and without people to come along for the journey, it's meaningless because you don't get things done. So um, throughout the corporates, we've got, so every corporate that gets involved, we've got a Steercom member. So when we all get together, there's about 110 of us driving wow. this. You know, so, <laughs> That's amazing. so you know, we've got a lot of people that are passionate about this work that drive the conversations internally. And it makes for a very, very worthwhile program where it's not about one company or one person. It's about a whole lot of people that believe in this and are driving the conversation. Wow. So you really have the keys to the vault of what's really going on yeah. in gender mainstreaming. Yeah. In, in Africa, really, not just yeah. in South Africa. Yeah. To go back to what you said earlier, you said it needs to be a business imperative. Yeah. And I want to link that back to, of course, the age-old argument about employing women because yeah. they're going to go off and have babies. Mm. How do we get around that narrative? It really is about challenging conversation, but I think it starts with the women themselves, though, Nikki, and I think... Um, we aren't going to get rid of that conversation as long as we have these events that talk about the usual things of, well, we asked for flexible working and we're not getting it. Well, we asked for, I think it really is about us challenging that conversation. So flexible working should be across the company. The minute you actually make it for a woman specific, it actually is a weak point that, that people can get into. But I think also we've moved on from a lot of the conversations. And so where you do get groups that get together and are talking about those issues, there are also groups that are driving change. And so we like to really connect with the groups that are driving change because then what happens is that narrative then spills into the corporates. And so where you had a negative conversation happening within a corporate, it's now been changed into a positive. Where flexible working in a corporate wasn't a thing where now it is. Where paternal coaching wasn't in a corporate where it is now. So for us, it really is about challenging conversation because I think if you talk in a lot of corporates now, 
we're not having that conversation. We're having a much different conversation. That's so exciting to hear. But how do women integrate work and life from your perspective? Because we still want to be wives and mothers and daughters and friends. And we want the job. We want it all. And I've always been somebody who said we can have it all, but not all at the same Same time. time. Mm -hmm. We have seasons in our lives. And I'm not sure how old your children were when you started Business Engage. How old were they? Well, Jade was, uh, this was 2005. So that's what, 17 years ago? And she's now 29. So they were teenagers. Teenagers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we went on a very, very interesting journey from a mom that was in a corporate environment and then decided to run a nonprofit with no funding. So it was actually quite an interesting journey. Okay. So your corporate environment, you were away at an office during the day. You had a very structured job. You had a salary. So there were certain things that were a given. Yes. But you still had to organize the child care and things around your job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I started the nonprofit, I wasn't around anyway because the, the fact of the matter is is that we were starting nonprofit with no no funding. So I had to be out looking for You were knocking on doors. Knocking on <laughs> doors and telling the story. But I think and I'm pleased you call it integration and not work life balance. Because yes. you cannot balance. It's a myth. It's, a, it's myth. an absolute myth. I think where we've got to relearn is that just because you're with your kids 24 hours of the day doesn't mean to say you're having quality time with them. I totally agree with you. I think some children can feel very lonely even though they have a full-time parent at home. (laughs) Exactly. I was at a corporate the other day where, where the lady said to me, so with COVID, who actually signed me up for full-time motherhood, she said. (laughs) (laughs) I do think with the whole COVID and what happened, there has been this more family integration rather than men and women and the roles that they're used to playing. There has been, you know, women have been re-evaluating what is important to them and so have men. And so men got used to taking the kids to wherever they had to go to and, and so did the women. And, and so even though you and women is talking about during COVID, women took on 29% more of the family care, I still believe that men actually started to realize what they'd be missing. So I always say, you know, women, we complain about all this work, but we want to take it all on and then we want to complain afterwards. And I think the thing is to actually understand how much you can really take on, what is important that you take on, and get rid of the rest. And it's not as important for you to do everything, but do things that only you can do. And spending that quality time as a mom with your kids, or spending that quality time with your husband, which is so important as well, um, and then spending quality time at work when you have to, I think learning that difference is so much more important rather than becoming a super super mom, super wife, super mm. person at work. It's not about the quantity, it's no. about the quality. quality. I had such an interesting conversation with um, a really up-and-coming woman in one of the banks recently, and she's been offered a, a new position, quite elevated position. And I was asking her how she fits it all in, because she's got a one-year-old and a six-year-old and a husband. And... She said, well, it's no problem. I wake up early, do a bit of work before they wake up. And then they go to school. So I work while they're at school. And when they come home, I spend time with them. And then we always have dinner together. 
And then I work when they go to sleep. Mm. And I said, well, that's how I've been running my life for the past 25 years of, you know, having children at various ages and stages as an entrepreneur and a solopreneur. This was a woman in corporate mm. telling me the same story. She's created a structure that works for her so she can still have quality time with her children when it makes sense to have quality time. Mm. But she absolutely maximizes the time when they're away from her. And I always say to entrepreneurs, and I said this during COVID when uh, people were shifted out from the corporate head offices to work from home, you're going to have to do your work in chunks. Mm -hmm. And like an entrepreneur who runs a business from home, there's no perfect solution. Yeah. You will work when your children are asleep. That means early in the morning before they wake up and late at night when they've gone to sleep. Absolutely. And it, it's a kind of a rhythm that you get into. Mm -hmm. And you have got to find a rhythm that works for you. In but, um, your individual situation. Yeah, I also believe, though, we just need to be careful of the capacity of how much we take on from a work perspective as well. Yes. Um, I've heard of about 30 people in the last three months that have, well, women that have taken sabbaticals and said, leave me alone. I've, I can't cope with this. Just last week, I heard of a lady who um, has got a full-time job herself and two of her staff members have gone off because they just can't cope. And she's taken on those two jobs as well. I think it's about time that we realize, you know, we're not super beings. And unless we, we turn around and we find that voice to say, I can cope with this. However, that we're going to need to get help. Mm. Um, so as long as you are doing those hours, but it's work that you can do. And it's your work rather than the amount of work that we have seen individuals taking on. Women definitely have the uh, difficulty of saying no mm. because mm. we want to be liked. We want to be seen as supportive. Mm. Um, we don't want to be seen as bitchy yeah. and, um, and intimidating. So we tend to walk a soft line when it comes to saying yes or no. Yeah. And we need to bring that word worthy Mm -hmm. into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Is this work worthy of me? Is this job worthy of me? Is this relationship worthy of me? Instead yeah. of the other way around, which is the normal conversation, is this, am I worthy of it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to accepting crumbs off the table, which is what women have been doing for a very, very long time. Yeah. And it's time that we actually had a seat at the table versus took the crumbs off the table, Absolutely. which I think is what your work is really yeah. all about. Yeah, it's, it's about, and it's not about men out, women in, really, Nikki. It's, it's about, first of all, it's that balance that we need to come to. As I said, if you're not using 100% of your talent, well, you know, you wouldn't use 50% uh, of your capital available to you. So why do you use 50% of your talent? I mean, it's just... But at the same time, it's not about men out, women in. It's about that diversity of thought that makes the business sense. And so even two women can have totally different and opposing views. Um, so it's not about men and women. It really is about, about um, men and women coming to the table and making a difference. And there's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. So what one woman decides or one person, let's not even talk about women, yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the gifts that COVID has given us Absolutely. is that we all have more choice and more voice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's time we started using our choice positively Absolutely. and using our voice to, to get these conversations going, to get meaningful conversations going, even in our own heads. Absolutely. It's entertaining different possibilities. I had a senior executive from a financial institution phone me the other day and we were having this conversation about 
gender mainstreaming, etc. And then she was telling me about the fact that she, she's got this big job and she's divorced and she's a single mom and she's got these two children and one of the children has certain challenges. And she was telling me that there's not a lot of support for, for parents with children with these specific challenges. And she's, she feels like she's got this driving need to set up some kind of an organization to give women in particular more advice in this area. And I asked her how old her children were. And I just had one question for her. Do you need to do this now? Mm -hmm. Because you've got a big job and you're a single mom mm -hmm. and you want to be there for your children. Now you want to give attention to hundreds of other parents going through what you're going through. How viable is this in terms of your time and your energy? Mm -hmm. And I'm just posing the question, do you need to do this now? Or is this something that you could do in a few years time when your kids are a little older? doesn't mean to say you don't need to get involved in this arena, but maybe for now, just a blog mm. documenting your experiences would suffice mm. to capture the wisdom of your journey that you can maybe turn into something at a later stage. The relief was amazing that yeah. someone had said, great idea, but let's look at your timing. Yeah. Because yeah. how much can you really take yeah. on realistically? Yeah. And also, I mean, what is the impact that you're going to have as an individual from that in that corporate environment? And that's why we say if you if you're looking at something like that, get your corporate to get connected with other corporates that are, have moved past this. Um, because if you get one chairman who's actually seen the light on something, talking to another chairman that hasn't, you'll at get that level. at that level, yeah. you'll get far more change then trying to activate down the, okay. down, down the bottom. So what you're saying is go for impact mm. <laughs> and be really strategic yeah. about how you expend your time, your energy and your effort Absolutely. for maximum, maximum impact, impact as opposed to um, doing things in a small way with a small budget. Absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, that's what we always say, Nikki. We, we say for us, I mean, yes, we are quite a big voice. We, we've got 110 corporates. We across Africa. You know, we run these big events, but unless there's impact on the ground, it's absolutely meaningless because then we're just an events coordinator, which we're not. Impact is so important. And so whatever we do, it's got to have that impact. And whatever we do as individual women or as individual people in the work environment, we need to be very careful with challenging conversation that we're having. And we are actually doing things that are moving us in the right direction. Um, because otherwise you're going to take us back. So listening to conversation about, oh, woe is us because there's the decline of women on JC list to come. Oh, you know, those conversations don't take us in the right direction. Yes, we all know that. We know what, what hasn't happened. But we've got to look forward and we've got to say, these are the things we're going to do. This is moving us in the right direction. This is where we want to go. Plot that course and that's where we're going. And whoever wants to come along for the ride, that's where we're going. I love this conversation because it's about letting go of that victim mindset, which has, let's face it, it's, it's, it's been um, brainwashed. It's brainwashing over centuries. So we can forgive ourselves for the fact that imposter syndrome is a real thing. In fact, I've decided women will probably never get over imposter syndrome. So let's make friends with it. Yeah. <laughs> let's actually go, um, right, okay, imposter syndrome, you're actually trying to protect me right now because you're raising my fear levels and my, my anxiety levels, but I've actually got this covered. I've thought about the pros and the cons, 
and thank you very much, but I don't need you right now and carry on. Absolutely. It's like putting it to bed in a very conscious way. I had somebody on a, a webinar yesterday um, that I was running for Vitality Group and, and, and she was questioning this thing about imposter syndrome. She said, it just doesn't seem to go away. And I said, well, you know what? Let's accept it's not going to go away, but let's make it an ally. Mm-hmm. It's a wake me up, stay awake and aware um, thing. Mm. And, and make it your friend as opposed to, oh, imposter syndrome, I feel so small, I feel so insignificant. Why me? Am I okay? Am I big enough? Am, can I do this? Which leads me to my final question before we wrap up. Women tend to not take advantage of new challenges and opportunities unless they feel 100% ready for it. Mm. And men will take up a new challenge if they're only 65% ready for it. How do we shift that conversation in our own heads? Look, I mean, that is that is something that is down to the individual woman. But as I said, you can't do that on your own either. And so, so the thing is, I think where we get into a point where we've got the support s- structure with validation, um, women like external validation. They they're very uh, hesitant to to blow their own trumpet because. That's not the way we've been socialized. You know, when you when you talk about how well you've done, no, that's boasting. You shouldn't really be doing that. And so I think from, first of all, coaching is so important. Um, but also having people surround you that are positive and that uplift you. And you have uplifting conversations um, about what you're doing, what work you're doing, and that type of thing. And you're going to have to get to a point where you can take on risk. Um, Women are really, not all women, but there are a number of women that are risk averse. And to take on a new challenge that you you aren't 100% certain of, um, you know, it's, you need to take on that risk. And as I say, if you, what's the worst going to happen? I mean, my, my mom used to always say to me, so if you don't do it, what is the worst that can happen? Well, you're not going to do so well. Well, you learn along the way. And so it's not going to be the end of the earth. You know, you're going to learn along the way. As long as you can be open around and say, I don't know 100%. However, I'm prepared to take it on. And I'll find the people to support to me. To support me. And I'll ask the questions I need to ask to get the information I Absolutely. need. Absolutely. And this was uh, part of a conversation I had with an up-and-coming woman the other day, is create a shopping list for the conversation when you go back to to say, I'd really like to consider this opportunity, but here's my shopping list. Mm. These are my requirements. I need to know that you are gonna be on the end of the phone or on WhatsApp for me if I need you because I don't have all the information and I haven't walked this road before. So picking on mentors and and, and bosses and knowing that they're going to be mm. there to to support you in this journey, knowing full well you don't know everything mm. and that you might just stuff up along the way. Absolutely. And be honest about that. Yeah. I'm going to stuff up along the way and I want to make sure that you're going to be there to support me. Yeah, and just learn along the way. And, and, and that's that uh, making yourself supportable. Yeah. And of course, um, you know, making yourself vulnerable. And you spoke about coaching. Mm. Having a neutral person that you can talk to who's not your boss, mm. is not your mother, mm. Because your boss and your mother have agendas for for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They they they've got <laughs> outcomes for you. Yeah. But to have somebody who's not invested in the outcome, yeah. where as a woman we know we are more emotional generally than mm. men. Where if we want to have a weep and a wail, 
We can, and it's it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Yeah, it's a so pressure release, release mm. valve, yeah. and so often when you can have that release, you see the world completely differently. Yeah. And it's understanding how what makes up a woman. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that you know after my husband's death. The gift of tears was huge. Mm. And I've not been one of those people who knew where the cry button was mm. on a normal day. Yeah. But I reckon as much as it was a hectic few years after his death, my stress levels on another level were actually quite low. On some levels they were very high, but on my normal levels they were lower because I was crying on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I knew where that cry button was now because I know that when I do have that cry, I can see the world in, in greater clarity. And, but you need to have a safe person Absolutely. to do that with it. You're not going to cry in a boardroom. No. You know, that's not the place to do it. Yeah. But you need to have people who are safe for you yeah. so that you can offload, download, get your perspective back again, get back on your horse and go. Absolutely. But that is why, I mean, we, we've been dealing with a lady, um, Despina Senatore, that's done a, published a book called Saw. Because a lot of these things we pick up only when we get into the work environment. And what she's done is put together a book with all of these things and she's going into schools so that they can learn about this and we can, we can actually change that narrative. You know, so when you go into, by the time you get into the work environment and you start hearing about imposter syndrome, oh, well, I'd really heard about that a long time ago. Old news. <laughs> old news, you know, it's not something new. I do believe, though, our emotions allow us to be more empathetic as women, and we mustn't lose that. 100%. And so, so yes, you can't cry in a boardroom. However, we mustn't lose that empathetic, that, that sincerity, and that authenticity of that emo that, that emotion brings. We must rather use it to our advantage. And also and, the intuition. Yeah, absolutely. I find so often... There is a woman in a group who is deeply intuitive mm. and can read the room brilliantly. Yeah. And she is such an asset to a team. Mm. And we need to, to spot those people yeah. because how else do we find out that information? People who can read between the lines, people who can hear the words other people aren't saying. Absolutely. And that is often very much in the domain of being a woman. Yeah. And also understanding, you know, and that's why I challenge conversation because, I mean, one of the conversations is, oh, well, when I'm in a boardroom, I get asked to make tea. When I was in a boardroom, I would love to make the tea because I could caucus. As I went along, I was caucusing and that. So it depends on how you're going to use it. You know, is it that you're expected or is it a role that you play? And I think, and I think that's why we need to challenge those conversations because sometimes you can use what should be a negative very much to a positive. And you've got, to, you've got to rely on that opportunity uh, because it could become an opportunity cost. I absolutely love what you're saying because I think women often block opportunities like that because they think it's beneath them. And young people also, not just women, mm -hmm. young people in the workplace who go, but that's beneath me. I, I'm a graduate. I shouldn't be doing this. But you're saying, think about who you might meet mm -hmm. while you're making them mm -hmm. tea. Think about making eye contact with that person, building a level of trust, mm -hmm. and perhaps booking a conversation with said person at another date mm -hmm. where you can actually ask some really important questions and get some answers that you may not have got had you not been introduced to that person 
over making them a cup of tea. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today, for giving us your time and sharing your wisdom and your experience. I have picked up so much from this conversation and I would just like to um, talk about what struck me the most, a couple of key things. Obviously, we all need to become engaged in having more challenging conversations and you're saying not just women, but men and women. I totally loved what you said about let's make Africa the gender hub. Let's export stories. Let's stop importing stories because we've got that wisdom in the room right here. And that was so, so positive. And that we need to galvanize ourselves and all our efforts for impact. Impact is change. So we need to take the risk, we need to be vulnerable, and we need to start raising the volume of the gender mainstreaming conversation. Colleen, do you have a final piece of advice for our listeners? And where can they get hold of you? So I've got two philosophies I live by, and especially for the women that are listening to to this conversation. Number one, if you're going through a challenge, you have the answers, so go look for them. And you'll never be put to a challenge you can't overcome. So don't look at those challenges as a risk, look at them as opportunities. And you can contact me on Colleen at businessengage.coza or our website is businessengage.africa. Thank you, Colleen, once again. And Colleen is a prolific networker, organizer, and creative visionary in the world of business. You now know how to get hold of her. And to our listeners, this has been such a robust conversation. I would really love to hear your takeaways from this podcast with our inspiring guest today. Please drop your comments in the chat below or email me at info at And of course, please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.